Say That, the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Oh, yeah. Oh. A second in a row, Kool-Aid Man-style entrance. <laughs> it's it's just the season. Also joining us, all the brokers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. I wish I had what it took to come up with an, like an uh, instantaneous like wrestling promo just to make Matt's week, but I wasn't prepared. Oh, yeah, it's close enough. I, I'm fascinated by the idea of tis the season. Jed, do you do you in, in, do you engage in seasonal Kool Aids that the rest of us aren't aware of? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, just as some people shift their their decor, you know, to celebrate the passage of of time, you know, I think that it's important to have different sports drinks for different times ah. of the year, oh. you know, in in a seasonal way, right? I mean. Obviously, summer is for Gatorade, but as we transition into the cooler climes of, of the fall, you don't need all those electrolytes, right? You know, I mean, okay. you, you're drinking salty water, so we can kind of, you know, let the Kool-Aid man come on in, and, um, you know, he's able to blast a hole in the side of the building, which in fall is not too bad, because it's fairly temperate out. So, if there, he'd have to be spring or fall, one or the other, and I just, you know, I feel like fall is better. Are you an eggnog man once the once the temperature really dips? I am. I am indeed. Jed enjoys a nog. Let me ask this. I don't know if this is just I don't know if this is a southern uh a southern thing or not and we're all from the south, but did all of you guys have like a mom who in the like around Christmas would make boiled custard? No. No, nah, you outcountried me on that one. Yeah, that's a that's a real country bumpkin kind of treat right there. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it sounds intriguing. I, I'm certainly, <laughs> I'm open to a boiled custard exploration. I think if you sip boiled custard, you are immediately wearing overalls. Like yeah. no matter, like no matter what they just, they just manifest. Well, yeah. Yeah. Was boiled custard custard exploration the original name of the Alan Parsons project? <laughs> <laughs> it would fit. It would fit. Well, uh, we we talk of seasonality. We talk of you know your. I assume there's going to be a pumpkin spice Kool Aid flavor uh, seems, available. Seems likely sooner than later. But here, on say that tis the season for an emergency. Uh oh. A couple in the same vein, uh, and this vein is, why did you feel the need to do that, Christian person? And it's a, a common, uh, a common refrain for us here in the emergency segment. So uh, speaking of delicious seasonal beverages, uh, we open with a tweet from one at John Piper. Uh, okay. Oh. So get, get in your mind. Take, take, take a moment to yourself. We've talked about. Uh, John Piper, many times on the show, a man who uh, got famous by imagining an old, an elderly couple he read about in the Reader's Digest traveling around, spending their retirement in an RV, going around collecting seashells. And he hated these people he didn't know so much. He wrote an entire book about how they were wasting their life in an affront to God. <laughs> wow. Wow. And he has become more unlikable from that moment. <laughs> With pretty much everything we've learned about him. So that's wow. great. Um, Imaginary hate is really potent. Yeah. 
And keep in mind, and this will be a theme as we go through this, he's also one of the ones that uh, your modern Christians point to, but he's a really, he's one of the really smart ones. It's like a thought leader. Uh-huh. One. And that brings us to this a tweet from uh, September 30th. We're picking this up a little bit late. Can we reassess whether Sunday coffee sipping in the sanctuary fits? And he qu- quote, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Hebrews twelve twenty eight, and I don't say this this uh, this lightly. But John, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> well, you know what? I feel like we at the Say That Podcast we can directly speak to his request for a reassessment. As of now, yes, I've reassessed. We can we can still sip coffee and hang out in the sanctuary. It's yeah, been assessed. By the way, you're. You should call it your auditorium. Uh, the sanctuary was in the temple. Um, yeah. No room that you put in an evangelical church is a sanctuary. Um, so can we not do that? Your your church, uh, Bethlehem Baptist Church, and whatever wherever you are, that's not that that's not a sanctuary. It's not a holy place. It's a room. It's a room where believers gather to sing some songs, to worship the Lord. They can sip coffee, man. It's yeah. it's not the temple. It's not the temple in Jerusalem. It's not on Mount Zion. Relax. Yeah. Relax. You know, I would point out that there's there's one legitimate and I would say reoccurring reason that your your houses of faith, no matter if they be uh, what what really denomination or breakdown they have, would be, and that would have against coffee in the sanctuary, and that would be if we just spent a bunch of money on new carpet. Yeah. But I have a yeah. feeling, if, if that's the case, John, you can just say that. You can just say, hey, please don't bring coffee into the sanctuary. We just spent a lot of money on this floor. That's cool. But to, to say that it violates the, uh, the commands of the New Testament to approach God with reverence is, do you not feel like maybe it's pushing it a little? Not only that, like, coffee wasn't invented when the Bible was written. Yeah. But, like... um. If it had been, there'd be verses about it, like verses of gratitude to the Lord. I can absolutely assure you of that, man. Like, there would be whole psalms that would be like, Lord, thank you for the blessings of coffee. Yeah, there would. Well, I, I have a, a theological conundrum for us to to consider, because, I mean, I think it's fair to say that the, the good Lord, uh, biblically, is pretty pro-beverage. Um, you know, Jesus' yeah. first miracle was turning water not only into wine, but apparently very, very good wine. So supposing that you and Jesus were going to Starbucks together, what would Jesus' order be? Mm. I mean, is he is he doing like, you know, just the straight up, just straight black coffee? Is he doing espresso? Is he rocking a frappuccino like what what do we what do we think the Lord would order? What if he hits that nitro cold brew, man? That's a good option. That That's nitro infused cold brew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's. I mean, what we do know of Jesus' earthly life is that he was a a construction worker. So I think it's whatever it is, going to have a little extra. He's going to go for the double shot of something. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I'm 
Here's the thing with the John Piper. Um, so the verse he quotes, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. What, what, what part of this does he think is not um, upheld by having coffee? I'm going to guess that he's offended by joy. Just oh. He looks out in the church and there's people that seem to be enjoying themselves and that can't be right. Well, yeah, th- this is a, you bring up a really, really good point, Matt. Pastor's up there giving his message and someone takes a sip of that sweet, sweet Java. What is his actual problem with that experience right there? That's a great point. Here's my question based off what you're saying there, Lee. Um, you know, we, we, we joke a lot on the show about the, uh, the person with the social media bio of pastor, author, speaker, because you're not doing at least one of those jobs. And yeah. I, would, <laughs> I would imagine that it's been quite a long time, if you ever did it, that uh, uh, Pastor John, as he likes to be referred to online, has done any actual interaction with the people who come to his church. And here's right. how I know that. If you look at the group of people who come into your, your church on a, early on a Sunday morning, uh, working people, people with children, People have, you know, already had been having a morning and you look out and you think, I bet taking their coffee away would make this better, (laughs) would make that would really increase the amount of uh, fellowship, holiness, and general goodwill towards their fellow man that's going on in this room. You've really lost your mind. (laughs) So we we recently had what we called a volunteer fair at, uh, here at Christ Community. And so we had like a. You know, in in the lobby, like every every leader of a of a volunteer uh, powered ministry had like a booth, and they just had like a sign up. Every couple of years, we do this, and so they they've got a little uh, you know trifold board like the old science fair type situation where they're advertising what their volunteer ministry does, and then a little clipboard where you can sign up and you can be you know come be a part of this ministry. We encourage the people, come come take a couple of turns around the volunteer fair and see where you want to serve in the church. Well, one of them is what we call the brew crew. These are the people that come early in the morning on a Sunday, and they just keep making coffee all morning. I mean, just all morning long. Just the coffee flows like justice is supposed to flow down the mountains in the kingdom of God. And yeah. The, what we've recently found out is um, some more people have started to come to Triple C, and the the whoever's on the brew crew on a given morning really can't go to community group before worship because they just have to keep cranking out that juice, that sweet, sweet juice, because people want to just keep refilling that coffee, and I think that's great. And yeah. so as many people as possible, go ahead and volunteer for the brew crew we're going to keep it pumping. And any of you who are uh, offended by uh, John Piper's ludicrous announcement about what real worship is, you come on by Triple C. We'll, uh, we, got a, we got a free cup of coffee for you right here. <laughs> that was well done, my friend. That was well done. An excellent pitch. Um, and, and to that point, um, I've never actually heard any of John Piper's preaching because, uh, you know, why I've, I've gone through I've gone through bouts of self hate in my life, but never anything that severe. Sure. Um, but I've read, you know, and I've gotten the vibe. <clears throat> John, are you how confident are you in your ability to keep this room of people engaged? Sans caffeine. 
Yeah. Because some of us have led, you know, the early morning leader meeting at the Young Life camp or the, the you know, the post-chow jail uh, chapel service. And uh, sometimes you just, uh, sometimes the beverage is your friend. That's all I'm going to say. With that, we move on to something even dumber, believe it or not. <laughs> and to find something dumber than what a crazy thing John Piper said about just made-up legalism, uh, we are forced to turn to the Gospel Coalition. Uh, the Gospel Coalition apparently recently had a, uh, an, a conference of some sort, an event, and uh, we, somebody sent us a, a kind of a digital flyer for one of the breakout sessions, I guess would be the best way I can put it. They described it as a micro-event. And here's the title of it. Make Theologically Rich Worship Great Again with some guy and a band. Ah, gosh. We were marveling before we came on as we were were looking at this of, so first of all, obviously the make blank great again. Um, If you're a evangelical uh, organization or whatever, and you don't want people to think you're like kind of a, you know, pro coup, anti-gay, just full on the Trump QAnon thing. Um, maybe don't be cute with make whatever great again. But then in true uh, theology bro fashion, they have to go and cram more words in there to not only in like not only ape the Trump style, but then also make it overly stuffed and wordy. Because who has ever listened to I hope you, you listener, had a wonderful, wonderful worship experiences. I hope you've gotten enriched by some of the songs you've heard on this very show. I hope you had that in real life. But I would ho- also hope that you've never heard a song and then immediately thought, hmm, that was theologically rich. <laughs> like fudge. Because <laughs> here's the thing. We, again, we, we kind of know this type, this type of person. And all they mean is cramming in a lot more words than need to be in a song. Yep. Yeah. They mean the sixth verse where they really get into some mono, some polysyllabic concepts they're breaking down by the time we all just wish this was over. I'm, yeah. I'm on a show with two gentlemen who've written uh, a number of worship songs between themselves, some of my favorite worship songs in the world. And here's what I know is they've had to write them for people who uh, didn't speak English as a first language. Yeah. Uh, people who we're not really at an adult reading level uh, yep. for any number of socioeconomic reasons. Um, people who cannot pay attention for more than three minutes, both youth and for other reasons. And I I've, I've learned for many years of watching them uh, craft these songs and craft them for an audience that sharpens the mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people who battle dyslexia and all kinds of other challenges and issues I'm telling you, man, simple is better. This idea of uh, theologically rich. Come on, man. All, <laughs> all you're saying here is we want to demonstrate to you that we're smarter than you are. Yeah. Yeah, that is, um, that is one of the most self-congratulatory phrases I've ever <laughs> encountered. I'm I'm just a simple country hyper chicken, but sure. Um, I thought you yeah. was corn. 
<laughs> I do know when we're finger licked. Um, it, it's worth noting in, in my meager reading of uh, the scriptures that when Jesus is trying to actually do theology, it's generally through stories. And the stories are generally as complicated as there is this person who had a gold coin and then they lost it and they were very concerned. And then they found it and they were very happy and they celebrated. Like the the dude whose religion this is, that is how he taught about theology. That's worth considering when you think about theological richness. Hmm. Just saying. Yeah, I know. That doesn't sound very rich to me, Jed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and Jesus pointed out that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So, I mean, like, in terms of riches, he, he was actually pretty clear about, about various forms of, of riches and richness. Yes, I would also say to our friends who want to do the theological real torture songs, you have to understand the difference between theologically rich and a song that was written in the 18th century, so the words sound fancy to us today. Yeah. Because Amazing Grace turned out a pretty simple song. Yeah. Just because it says twas doesn't mean it's a uh, you know, a real a real tour de force of of deep literary themes. That's just that's just a way to save some time. People are in the club, they're vibing, they're like, oh man, he dropped the T bomb. It's serious now. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that if you have coffee in your hand? you have less ability to absorb theological truths oh, wow. in a rich way. Wow. Wow. Like, like the brain can only metabolize so much at once. And That's if right. you're, if you're using some of that bandwidth for the caffeine, like maybe, you know, pastor Trevor's sermon insights, you know, you just, you're not able to process them as well. It's also, it's also worth noting. And, and Matt mentioned this pre-show once again, the Gospel Coalition takes a massive stand on something that has nothing to do with the actual gospel. Yeah. The yes. good news. Also, to Judd's point about, you know, the things that are actually in the Bible, if you're in the Gospel Coalition and you want to have a weird breakout session about writing better worship music, um, you, you could talk about making it gospel-focused. Yes. There's actually a dearth of uh, worship songs that actually focus on the gospel itself or the gospels pulling a story from something you can do that or, or you can be theological or you rich. can or you can invite somebody to your meeting that's not white mm. well <laughs> that sound you heard was three men thinking of a joke they could say that wasn't going to get them in trouble as you tell we <laughs> came up snake eyes so with that i'm gonna declare emergency off <laughs> sorry matt all good <laughs> I I canceled the emergency. I rolled through. We were, we were twenty minutes. We're fine. I rolled through three or four jokes. I'm not saying they weren't good jokes. I'm just saying they're not fully. You formed. can share them. You can share them with Jenna later. Yeah, they're not fully formed the way I'm putting them out there into the world, even yeah. on our humble little podcast. So you got to know. Much unlike the person who wrote, "Make theologically rich worship great again," you have to know when your idea is not ready for prime time. And just move yeah. on. Matt, I see that restraint and I, I'm cheering you on, man. Absolutely. So that, and that's what we do now. We move on. <laughs> move on to your fine questions. You have a question, hang out with us all the way to the end. I'll give some ways you can touch this or you can scroll down to your episode description. 
Click the links you find down there. Our first question comes in and says, I feel like I get in a pattern where I expect the worst of a person or a situation, and then the situation spins into the worst. How do I get out of that pattern? Mm. It's a fantastic question, a great place to start off. And Lee, where would we start? This is such a cool question, man. Um, I, I I love the, the, the kinds of questions that come into this show because they're so often they're just the kind of thing I would not expect. Uh, I would not expect somebody to ask. So uh, cheers to you for asking this kind of question. Um, interestingly enough, what you're talking about is something that I'm always trying to uh, prepare my own children for. And what I mean by that is I'm always talking to my kids about the fact that one of the most important skills in life is to be able to adjust with the moment that happens to you. Um, it's like, you don't know what's going to, you don't know in a, in a given moment, whether this thing is going to go sideways or whether it's going to be really, really great. Um, and how do you regulate yourself and get ready for what's next? Um, when a situation is good or bad, what I would say to you, as far as advice is try not to forecast this is going to be terrible. What some people do is they say, look, if I assume that everything is going to be terrible, then I won't be disappointed when it is. Um, but the thing is that people that expect the worst or the other side of that, people that expect the best, both of those things are actually not great ideas. Um, whatever you're about to walk into, if it's a conversation, have the conversation. If it's a meeting, go into the meeting. You don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes it's going to be great. Sometimes it's going to be blah. Sometimes it's going to suck. And when the worst happens, adjust. But I think this idea of, I expect the worst and then the worst happens. I don't think that's a great way to go into it. I think we need to go into a situation going, I don't actually know what's going to happen, but I am ready to adjust my expectations I'm ready to handle if the worst thing happens. I'm ready to deal with disappointment. I'm ready to um I'm ready to try to figure out strategies for regulating my emotions if it goes really really sideways. That's the kind of thing that we want to do because we actually don't know what's going to happen. And this idea of I'm just going to expect the worst and that way when the worst happens, then I will be proven right. I don't think that's a, a really great way to go through your life. There's not a lot of hope there. There's not a lot of, there's, there's just not a lot of balance there. I think going into your, going into the moment saying, I'm living this moment. I am prepared for, you know, X, Y, Z. And I hope something happens. I have my goals and stuff like that, but I'm ready to adjust. I'm ready to handle it. I'm ready to deal with whatever goes sideways I think that's the way that we want to start approaching things because all of these extremes put us in a situation that, to be perfectly honest, you're not likely to be in. You're probably not going to go into a meeting where everything goes perfectly. And you're probably not likely to go into a conversation where everything goes completely terrible the whole way. And that seems to be the the way that people tend to plan things like, I think everything's going to go great, or I think everything's going to go terrible. No, I'm just living in the moment. 
but I am learning some strategies for how to regulate my own emotions and regulate myself. This is a thing that it's, it's, it's actually something that, um, on the side, uh, that, uh, my wife, Christy has been working on. Um, she's this year, she's gotten a new job this year. Hooray. And, uh, her new job is helping elementary school students learn how to regulate their emotions in different kinds of difficult situations. And there's a lot of research going on right now into emotional regulation. And when we can start to learn some strategies for how to regulate our emotions, then we don't have to live in this expectation of extremes, but we can go into the moment. We can live in the reality of the right now. We can deal with the conversation we're having or the meeting that we're in. And then if things go sideways, we have some strategies for how to regulate our emotions rather than I'm going to hedge or couch this situation with, I know it's going to be terrible. So that way I'm not disappointed. By the way, if you go in that way and it does go terrible, you still will be disappointed. The better situation is living in the moment that you're living and learning how to get some strategies and some tactics for regulating those emotions and getting yourself in a better place. That's a fantastic place to start that off. Jed, where do we pick that up? No, that's definitely great stuff. Let's just, let's keep going right along that, that same line. So the first is that there is a very big difference between being aware of, there are the extreme worst case scenarios, but then there are the, within the realm of possibility, worst case scenarios and, and having safeguards in place, right? So Lee's been using the example of, you know, you're going to have a meeting at work and, and maybe you got to pitch an idea, right? So some part of your brain may tell you, well, what if it's so bad and so terrible that they just fire you on the spot? I mean, like, I guess technically that could happen, but that's extraordinarily unlikely. You don't, you don't really need safeguards in place for that. But what's, what's a likely worst case scenario? Well, you, you pitch an idea of what we're going to do with the Jenkins account and People just kind of blink at you and go, okay, well that, that, that's one option. Anybody else, anybody else have, have ideas and they just, they're not, they're not really feeling it and they're not really, you know, you can plan for how to deal with the negative outcome that's, that's within the realm of possibility. And it's, it's not a bad idea to be aware that that, that could happen and what <clears throat> you would need to have in place for that. But that's very different from being resigned to that happening. Being aware that it could happen and having whatever safeguards make sense in place, you know, like you have a spare tire in your car because you, you could get a flat tire. Um, but that's not the same as being resigned to the idea that every time you go out and drive, you will uh, have a flat tire that you need to therefore change. It's the being resigned to it that I think in many ways is, is the problem. Being prepared for things in general is a good idea, but being resigned is different. Let's ask this. How much time do you spend imagining the realistic best case? Lee is right that the the absolute worst case and the absolute best case are unlikely to happen. Just as you're not going to pitch your idea for the Jenkins account and they fire you out of disgust, you're not going to pitch your idea for the Jenkins account and they're like, Forget our current CEO. That guy's a loser. This is the leadership we need. You're the CEO now. <laughs> like, I mean, that that's not going to happen either. So what is, what is the likely 
best case? And specifically, critically, are you ready for that? Let's suppose for a second that you go in and you pitch your idea for what we're going to do with the Jenkins account. And the boss is like, that's a good idea. I really like that. Can you have a written outline to me sometime tomorrow afternoon, kind of breaking down how we would do that and how we would implement that? If your boss asks you for that, do you, do you, do you have that information? Do you have that put together? Do you have the time to, um, to make that happen? Because that actually could happen. And, and we hope that it does. And things going well actually typically requires a response from you just as things going poorly requires a response from you. And so in the same way, are you prepared for that good outcome? Are you prepared for that positive yeah. outcome where you'd be able to, to respond to it and, and, you know, actually take a hold of it just as it um, is a bad idea to be resigned to a bad outcome. It is um, probably not the healthiest thing to just assume that the really good outcome will occur, but being prepared and being ready can only be a good idea. And then past that, we do exactly what Lee is talking about in terms of we we flow with what's going on right now and we figure out how to find some peace and some grounding in the moment in which we're currently in. Excellent stuff from both of these guys on that. Um, I, one, one other angle I will look at your question from, depending on, you know, what you meant when you wrote it in, obviously we only have the, we only have the, the text that was sent in. The other thing of then the situation spins into the worst is the idea of the self-fulfilling prophecy where you're very worried that someone is going to act a certain way or something's going to go a certain way. And you're so worried about it that as these guys are pointing out, it's the only track in your mind. So you are already playing the role of this is happening. And sometimes that either uh, does or can feel like you're making it happen. You know, you're worried someone's going to, you know, you're having a conversation with a friend or a, a partner and you're worried they're going to be annoyed at you and they're going to be really angry at you. And you just kind of keep picking at them until they get angry at you. <laughs> um, definitely a, a real yeah. thing to be aware of. And uh, the good news about that is that the exact advice these guys are giving you about examining some more opportunities, allowing some other things to happen, playing out other scenarios is going to help with that idea as well. And with that, we're going to move on to our second question here. It comes in and says, what does first Thessalonians three, three mean when it says we are quote destined for trials? A, a, another really great question. Uh, and Lee, where do we start off here? Ugh. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a good place to start. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question, but man, um, it's a uh, it's one of those deals where you know we 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 propose the format of this show, and then you guys write in these really interesting and sharp questions, and then we have to deal with them. Um, <laughs> and that that provides this whole other problem for us. We really should have thought about re renaming this kind of the the tagline for this show. For your real questions, we read them out, and then you know whatever happens after that's just bonus. That's right. That's right. Um, here's the thing: there are certain uh, Christian traditions that some of the listeners of the show will have grown up in, where um, there's no other way to say it to you um, other than, you know, the triumphal preachers lied to you, man. Um, there's no like rainbow version of this where everything goes well as long as you believe in Jesus. There's no version of of this life or this religion where 
if you have a certain profession of faith or whatever, you'll have all the money to pay the bills and you won't have any problems and uh, you won't get sick or anything like that. That's just not a thing. And when you, the, the deal is when you actually read the new Testament for yourself, what you're going to find is not only in this uh, verse in Thessalonians, but there's a, there's a verse at the end of uh, the, the, the book of Philippians where the apostle Paul says that it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 16, in this world, you will have trouble. Um, this, is, this is a troubling, difficult world. It's full of problems. It's full of pain. You will have grief, and you will have um, difficulties. There will be confusion. There will be tears. All of that stuff. And, and, and I, would not, uh, I would not be honest with you if I told you that when you believe in Jesus, all of those things disappear for you. And that you somehow have a pass. Um, that that's not the case. Um, you will um you will say goodbye to people that you love, you will bury friends, you will have you will have problems that you do not know how to solve. Um Jesus said, if they if the world hated me, the world will hate you if you follow me. Uh, there, this is a this is a difficult place, man. Um and and that sounds pretty bleak, and it sounds really difficult. And the hope that I would give you in that is that that in the midst of the confusion, and in the midst of the mourning, and in the midst of the grief of a really difficult and fallen world, I have found a lot of companionship, a lot of fellowship, and a lot of love. I have found that in the family of God. I have found that in trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus as a person that doesn't always get it right and doesn't always know what I'm doing. Um, I have found a lot of, I have found a, a, a lot of scenarios where I thought I would be alone and I found out I'm not. And that's really, really cool because this is a difficult place, man. And there's a lot of disappointment and a lot of grief. And to look around and find companionship and help, to look around and find family, and to find the what I believe is the help of God um, in a lot of scenarios, that's been really, really good. But let's be clear, no matter what any preacher has ever told you, the New Testament and the Bible in, as a whole never, ever, ever promised that people that followed Jesus were going to have the easy way out of life. That was never a part of this. What it promises, what it guarantees is you won't be alone. And that's the key. We're going to have difficulty. We're going to have confusion. You're not going to have to face that alone. And that's the hope that we carry into all of those problems and all of those confusions. Extremely well put. A great place to start that off. And Jed, where do we pick that up? And that's great stuff. Any number of writers and thinkers have said the following, but it, you know, it, it bears saying out loud that the basic idea is life is difficult. And as soon as you learn that, it gets a lot easier. Um, yeah. If you're going into, you know, 
adult life expecting things to generally speaking be easy, it's going to be a very, very, very rude awakening. And unfortunately, there are plenty of people that want to sell books that um, will tell you that if you if you live a religious life a certain way, your life will basically be on rails. And that's just not true. I mean, that's that's just not accurate. Life is hard for everybody. It was hard for Jesus. It was hard for Paul. Um, it it will have moments of being hard for you. It will have moments of being hard for me. Um, I absolutely agree with everything that Lee said. And one of the things that has become, I think, clearer to me with time that I really want to encourage you to think about is that, yes, bad stuff tough times, suffering, it's unavoidable. There, there is, there's no skipping that, you know, every, everybody gets jabbed by that pitchfork sooner or later, but the good stuff is always optional. The good stuff Mm. is always up to you to take a hold of it. The bad stuff will absolutely find you, but the good stuff, you kind of have to open yourself up to it. That's not a victim blaming thing. Hang with me for a moment. What I mean is, Earlier in this episode, we're talking about the sublime joy of a good cup of coffee when you're tired. And that that is one of the greatest joys in the world. But here's the thing. You've got to decide to sip that cup of coffee. No one's going to make you do that. No, no one is going to walk into your life and say, you are very tired currently and coffee would comfort you. Therefore, it is now coffee time. You have to decide that it's coffee time. And critically, you will have people in your life telling you that you're wrong to have coffee time. Um, They will not have a point, uh, but they will tell you that anyway, because for all kinds of reasons, there are people whose thing in life is just crapping on what brings comfort and joy to others. So you will have people telling you that you are wrong to have your coffee time. You got to do it anyway, man. Um, In fact, part of... This is this is my experience. When things are hard, the gut response that I think most of us have is, I want this fixed. Whatever yeah. this problem is, I want it fixed. And it's a very understandable way to look at the world, but it's also a very reductive way to look at the world. Not everything is fixable in the way that we want it to be, and not everything is fixable on the time scale that we want it to be fixed. But we we can get understandably very uptight on I need things fixed and I need them fixed now. Oftentimes what we actually need and what is available is a break. Mm. We need five minutes or ten minutes or an hour or a day where our troubles is not the only thing on our screen. We need a break. Sometimes you're on a long hike and you get to a point where you're really, really super tired and you're not sure if you can go on. The answer is not to just camp out in the woods and say, I live here now. There is, I'm just declaring this is where I live. But the answer is to take a break and figuring out what breaks are available to you, whether that's a cup of coffee or hanging out with friends or putting on some music that's a comfort to you, whatever it is, figuring out how to get those moments of relief, figuring out how to get those moments of, it says in the Bible that times of refreshing will come from the Lord, how to tap into and receive those moments of getting rejuvenated. 
that's an art form. And I think you get better at it the more that you learn how to look for and how to take hold of those things. But again, the key thing is the good stuff is optional. Nobody's going to make you take a break. Nobody's going to make you find comfort. Nobody's going to make you do the stuff that um, gives you a sense of relief, even if it's only for a little while. But if you look for it, there's always something there. There's always some way to find some degree of relief. There, there certainly has always been in, in my experience. So the fact that life is difficult and that that's unavoidable is true, but it's not the last word on your situation. Find that comfort that's on offer. Find that relief that's on offer. Find that help that's on offer so that you can deal with the five minutes that you are currently in. I think that's all fantastic stuff from these guys. I will, I will close this out by adding just the, the context of the verse. So it is um, from starting first Thessalonians three, one Paul writes. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to, to be left by ourselves in Athens. We said, Timothy, who is our brother and coworker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would, that we would be persecuted and it turned out that way, as you well know. So a couple things. One, to uh, Lee's point about uh, people having a lot of a lot of leeway in interpreting this verse. Uh, technically, if you want to be a strict uh, interpretationist of this, the we is uh, Paul and two guys who were with him. Now, everybody else has will have trials in life, as these guys pointed out. But I think it is very interesting and dovetails exactly with what Jed was was saying at the end there of, you know, the reason we did, Paul says, you know, the reason we did this, so you would not be unsettled by these trials because we were, uh, we were destined for them. Um, uh, it does very little uh, good in figuring out solutions to issues in life to get stuck on. But what if this didn't happen? Wouldn't that have been better? That's probably a uh, understandable feeling. And when we, we have to deal with when it comes up because again, it's perfectly legitimate, but as far as problem solving, yes, but wouldn't a better world be one in which the problem didn't exist? And shouldn't we really <laughs> dig in on it existing and that being the issue and maybe why it exists being the real, the real thing to sink all of our uh, time and energy into is, uh, is not going to help get us to where we want to go. And maybe that's at least part of what we're looking at when we look at that verse. With that, we move on to our final question. It comes in and says, two pieces of advice I get from people are be patient and be bold. Can I do both of those at the same time? That's a very uh, interesting idea, and I, I do wonder, a question after does mention, uh, but I can see a world in which you're getting those two pieces of advice at uh, different times from the same person, which can be even more, uh, a little, even more a little bit out there, but it's a great question, and Lee, where we start off? Super interesting. This is a, this is, I, I love questions like this that have a lot of subtlety embedded. Um, you know, at different times and in different situations, these are both great pieces of advice. But I think the question that we want to look at is what do you think the words be bold mean? Like, is boldness always just kicking a door down? I, I think that I think the reason that we initially believe that there's mutual exclusivity here, in other words, I can't be both patient and bold at the same time, is because 
those things are, com- are total opposites. If you're patient, you hang back. If you're bold, you press forward. The thing that I would tell you is, especially um, in my line of work, which for uh, the better part of the past 20-something years has been working with young people, especially young men, um, and there are moments where the boldest thing that this dude can possibly do at 18, 19 years old is to pump the brakes, relax, and go against every impulse to, br- to kick down that door or to, to make that thing happen for him. Um, the boldness required is to boldly sit down and be still and wait. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but I actually don't think these things are necessarily mutually exclusive. Sometimes the most patient and the most bold thing that you can do are the same thing because it takes boldness to actually tame this thing inside you that wants to just run through a wall. Um, there is a, there's a thing in us that wants to, you know, like, it's like boldness means I'm going to do, I'm going to go against, um, you know, I'm going to go against, uh, every practical, um, you know, uh, thing that wants to hold me back. I'm going to go against my personality. I'm going to buy crypto and I'm going to what, whatever. I, I, I don't even, I don't even know what I mean when I say that, that that's how little I know about crypto and that's how little crypto I've actually bought. I don't even know. Do you buy it? Do you invest in it? I don't even know. I'm just saying, I know that's what the commercials said is if you were bold, you would get the crypto, whatever it takes to receive the crypto. Matt Damon said you're a punk if you don't buy this. That's all I know. You're disappointing Matt Damon, Lee Younger. He quoted like Roman Caesars at a certain point, I think, in yep. that process. Regardless, I think our our assumption is, you know, you know, boldness requires, you know, I'm just gonna be out there and I'm gonna kick every door down and I'm gonna take every chance. Well, sometimes boldness means telling yourself to sit down, telling your instincts to take a break. Sometimes patience and boldness could be the same thing. The, the, the funny thing about advice like be patient or be bold is we have no idea who is giving you this advice. We have no idea the context of this advice. We have no idea what the situation is. All of that to say, there is so much play in the wheel over when is somebody telling you to be patient? When is somebody telling you to be bold? And what do those things look like? They can look like so much. The question is, the really important question for me is, who is in your life? How much do they understand you? How much do they know about what your goals are and where you need to go? And how much should you be listening to this person? Patience, boldness, uh, creativity, calmness, like balance, whatever the advice is, 
Who are you listening to? When and why? What are the goals? And do you have a really good reason to trust the person that you're listening to? All of these things can be interpreted in a thousand different ways. I want to make sure that you know that you are listening to the kind of person that has your best interest at heart and that you can interpret what you're looking at and not just, you know, flying through doors or uh, completely, completely missing opportunities because you're sitting and waiting. There's nuance and balance in all of those things. And it really, really depends on what the situation is. A, a fantastic place to start that off. And Jed, where do we close it out? I mean, I agree with everything that Lee said. And honestly, there's very little to add to that. So here's just a couple of quick things. Um, there's no question that being passive, which is generally a bad thing, and showing a, a very courageous kind of restraint, which is a good thing, can look very, very similar. Um, you know, the, the life, life is complicated. There, there's a quote that's been circulating online it says that courage is knowing it might hurt and doing it anyway. Stupidity is the same, and that's why life is hard. And that is <laughs> super, super true. And so I'm 100% with Lee of, like, who are, who are the advisors in your life? Um, when you look at the combination of a, a pastor and a mentor and a coach and a therapist, who are those people in your life? Do they, do they know you? Do they, um, do they know where you're trying to go? Do they know, um, you know, what your, what your deal is? Because you're going to have situations in life where the courageous thing and the inadvisable thing share a lot of commonalities. And you, you, I think you're going to find it helpful to have people, if you can trust them, that can help you navigate that specific thing. But let me ask you two things that go right along with that. The first is, do you know your own tendency? Do you tend to lean towards being more active than you should be, or do you tend to lean towards being more passive than you should be? Everybody's got a tendency. Everybody errs in a direction. Do you know the directions that you, that you err in? The more that you have a sense of that, of the directions that you're inclined to err in, the more you can kind of calibrate how you're, how you're feeling and therefore how you're responding. Right. So if you're a person who is like, no, I tend to be pretty passive. I tend to, um, I tend to be, you know, to, to wait too long on things and take too and, and not active enough of a role. If you know that to be true about yourself and you've got a situation where you're like, man, I probably need to actually be pretty active here and really drive this process forward. Then really listen to that. If your if your brain, which would tend towards being passive, is like, no, this isn't a time for passivity, then that's a strong clue that it it probably is not. But you kind of have to know your tendencies first in order to um to to work with that. Here's the other question. This has a lot to do with kind of that team of advisors in your life. Do you know how to hear guidance that you super don't want to hear? And actually process it. Let me say that again. Do you know how to hear bad news and be able to roll with it? Because a lot of people don't. And one of the things about having effective advisors in your life, which again, that's the thing you're going to need to figure out what patience and boldness look like in a given season. Having effective advisors means both having people that will tell you the truth, but you having the ability to onboard that truth. 
you having the ability to have, suppose you've got three or four people that you really respect as advisors in your life. And they're like, man, I know you're excited about opportunity X, but it is, it's not a great idea. I'd be really cautious about that. Do you have the ability internally to say, I am really excited about it, but the fact that these people that I really trust are telling me that it's probably not the world's greatest idea, I, I need to actually do some more due diligence on this and really look at it more closely and, and figure out what's going on here. A lot of people do not have that ability. Um, for, for a lot of people, it's whatever my emotions are telling me is real. And I'm mostly looking for the advisors in my life to kind of sign off on that. And if that's where you're at, well, you know, you're, you're in with most of us, but that's going to make receiving the advice and the clarity that you're looking for a heck of a lot harder. Um, the thing that maybe undergirds all of this and, and is the thing to, to really, um, to look at is these are, these are the same thing. They're, they're said just in two different ways. Humility and being willing to set your ego aside. Wow. When your ego is tied up in whether or not you think you're being bold right now, it's going to lead you to make poor choices. When you feel like you've got to prove something to yourself, which is a lack of humility, it's going to make it really hard to make good choices. The more that you can be humble in the true sense, meaning you know who you are, strengths and weaknesses both, and the more that you can set your ego aside from the way that you approach decision-making, the much, much more clarity you're going to be capable of having and the more good advice from your advisors you're going to be able to receive. Fantastic stuff uh, from both of these guys all over really everything going on in this question. One aspect I will add to this as we close out here is uh, rarely is there one thing that needs to be done. So, you know, we say, can you be patient and be bold at the same time as these guys are pointing out, um, kind of in this, on the same topic, but um, oftentimes there's going to be something in your life that calls for patience and something else that calls for boldness and maybe some multiples of those. Um, it's very easy, especially if there's, a main thing in your life that's a concern or you feel like is, you know, driving you nuts or it feels like it's the big obstacle to focus on that as the only thing. And I have to, I have to solve this, everything, all happiness and progress and uh, everything in life hinges on this one thing getting solved and nothing else can move forward until that. Very rarely is that the case on something. So um, if you're being called, if you're kind of your main best strategy is to be patient on something or what feels like the biggest thing there's often somewhere else you can you can make something happen you can push some things along you can uh, put your boldness into that while you're while you're being patient on the other thing and the same way if there's um, you know the best strategy for the the main thing is is boldness and pushing something along there's probably some other uh, parts of your life that you're going to have to apply some patience for as you're putting effort into that one thing and that's that's all right as well but most of the time in a, in a balanced life you're going to have more than one thing going on and uh, mm. more than one strategy for attacking the things that do need doing. Okay. If you have a question for us at podcast, gmail.com, the bridge, Chicago.tumblr.com slash ask. I want to keep that entirely anonymous. Taylor, the song this week, this is from the pool house guru based on Romans 12, 15. Got that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it.
It's worth 